0: As I mentioned just a moment ago, the Apostle Paul had the need to address various topics and various things that they needed to correct. Things that come to mind deal with a, one that was uh, guilty of incest in the 5th chapter. We talk about the communion in the 11th chapter and how they were making a very mockery out of the Lord's Supper and turning it into a common meal. And he had to address things like that as well. But something else that they had to change and something else that was of great importance was the fact that they were acting in a carnal way. You know, we can look at uh, chapter 3 beginning in verse 1. Before we do that, though, go back to chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians and uh, beginning there in verse 10. This was the contention and this was the problem that was going on among them. Beginning in verse 10, Paul says, Now I beseech you, brethren, By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Notice what the contention was. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ is Christ divided was Paul crucified for you or were you baptized in the name of Paul there was factions among them that were saying well wait a minute instead of looking to the Lord as the Great One instead of looking to the Lord as one to follow they were having factions in the Lord's Church saying I am of Paul and another would say And I am of Apollos You know, when the Apostle Paul addressed that very thing, he says, I'm so thankful that I didn't baptize any of you because that you could be taken as you were of me or you were from me. Factions in the body of Christ are sinful. And he pointed those things out. Then in chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, he says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual But as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I want to make this point though that uh, this is used in a modified sense because we understand that we are babes in Christ when we obey the gospel. In fact, the very minute that we come from the waters of baptism, we rise to walk in newness of life, and when we do, We have become a babe in Christ. Everyone that has ever obeyed the gospel has a point in time in their spiritual life when they are considered as babes. Just like children. Children are born into the world. They're not adults. They can't handle strong meat. They can't handle things that we can handle as an adult. And neither can somebody spiritually that comes from the waters of baptism and becomes a babe in Christ. So that's a good thing. It's a good thing in one sense, and Paul is using this phrase or this term in a modified sense in a way that is not so good. Here's the good way. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2. What did, what did Peter say there? He says, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. But you know, there comes a time when we need to be past the milk. There comes a time when our infancy needs to be over. There comes a time when we need to start taking in spiritual food of greater substance. There comes a time when we need to not be uh, needing others, but but put in a position where we are helping others. You know, little babies, when they're little, we carry them around. We pick them up. There are babies in this audience right now. They are carried around. That is a wonderful thing. Let me just ask you this. What happens when they get to be about 16? How would it look if you start packing them around? And you're carrying them around like they're an infant. You know, really, that sounds kind of funny. But if you think about it, that's exactly what happens to somebody that is supposed to be past that. Chronologically speaking, they have grown past that, so they need to start behaving and acting like that. What did Paul say regarding these brethren? Why were there factions among them? Why were they not growing spiritually? Why was Jesus Christ not first in their life? Why were they looking to the wisdom of man and not the wisdom of the scriptures? Why were they rejecting what Paul, the apostle, had taught them all the way back from the very beginning when he planted the seed of the gospel right there in Corinth? What were they doing wrong? Well, Paul says, back when, when I planted the seed of the gospel, I had to speak to you concerning the milk of the word, the first principles, the basic things, and not the strong meat. And why does he say that? He says, because if I would have given you the strong meat of the word back then, you were not able to bear it, you would have choked to death. And here's the whole clincher. Neither yet now are ye able. You still can't handle it the meat, you still have not grown. They looked to men and not to Christ, and because of that, there was envying and strife and divisions. He says, are ye not carnal and walk as men? And then he says, for one one saith, I'm of Paul, another of Apollos, and uh, are ye not carnal? Who then is Paul and who is Apollos? But notice what they are. Who are we? What distinction should we have? Who is Paul? Who is Apollos? But we are ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. You know, verse 7 of chapter 3 is a verse that I think every preacher ought to wake up in the morning and read. I really do. There'd be no arrogant people in the world. There'd be no arrogant preachers in the world if they would pick up this this book and read verse 7. Because this tells the tale, this tells exactly what we are. Verse 7, Paul says this So then, neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God giveth the increase. You know what he's saying? Don't have factions in the body of Christ and don't follow me and don't follow Apollos. Now listen, Paul was an apostle. Paul was above you and I. There are no modern day apostles. This was a man that was a chosen vessel of the Lord. And he says, and you have a group that's following, saying they're after Paul, another one after Apollos, and so on and so forth. Who are we? I'll tell you what we are. We're ministers. And that's it and he says don't elevate the man because who are we he says what i do is nothing makes me nothing what apollos does makes him nothing but god gives the increase if this doesn't tell us that preachers in the eyes in that way in in that respect are nothing i don't know what is but let me just say this though i'm not saying that we don't have an important role in taking the gospel to the lost. I'm not saying that at all. In fact, it is imperative that we do that. We have a responsibility of taking the gospel to the lost. We do that. That is our job. That is our responsibility, not only preachers, but every member of the body of Christ. Every child of God has a responsibility to do what they can within the parameters of their talents and abilities and roles that God has given them in the Lord's church. So we have a responsibility, but one is not greater than the other. In fact, Paul goes on in the very next verse and says just that he says, one is not greater than the other. He says this, the one that plants and the one that waters are one, are one. You know, what's wonderful to me is the fact that we can go to places like the Philippines and preach the gospel and preach the same gospel that the Filipino preachers have been preaching all along. And sometimes when they hear it from an American all the way across the other side of the world, sometimes it, it, it lends a little greater weight to them. Sometimes when they are around these Filipino brethren all the time, maybe, maybe they don't listen to them as much as they ought to. I don't know. I do know of specific cases where we ended up baptizing over the last couple years somebody that had heard the same gospel story and then found out later they obeyed the gospel because what we said was consistent with the word of God, consistent with what they had heard all along. But you know what the greatest thing is? It doesn't matter who does the final converting because they're converted by the word of God. And God gets the increase. God gets the glory. You know what we are? We're equal. Neither one that planteth is not greater than the other. He that watereth is not greater than the one that plants. God gives the increase. He gets the glory. He gets the praise. If we would look to passages like verse 7, and we would see that and apply that in our life, it would change every arrogant heart in the entire world, I believe, realizing What our responsibilities are, and how great God is, and not ourselves. I will like to say this, though, that of all the baptisms that we had while we were gone, there's nothing that warmed our hearts any greater than when Christina obeyed the gospel here at home. There's nothing greater than that. It doesn't matter where the souls are saved anywhere in the world, we rejoice together. And there was brethren in the Philippines that didn't know her that were rejoicing and rejoicing with the people of God right here at Plans Road because somebody was saved. I know for a fact that you don't care where they're saved in supporting me as a gospel preacher. I know that. I know that you you are just as elated to have somebody obey the gospel gospel 8,000 miles away as if it was right here. The bottom line is we are in the business of saving souls wherever they are. And we all rejoice together. Did you know? I love that passage. You've heard me quote from it. But when Paul was writing the Philippian letter in Philippians chapter 4, and he praised them for their financial support, he praised them for that. You know, there were times when Paul was not chargeable to a congregation. Here he praises them in the book of Philippians chapter 4. He praises them for helping him monetarily for the work. And you know what he says? He praises them for it. And then he says, not that I desire a gift, but that I desire fruit that's credited to your account. I'm going to tell you something. Every one of those souls that just obeyed the gospel across the other side of the world are credited to your account. There's going to be people in heaven because you backed a preacher and sent a preacher to preach the word of God. And I am not greater than you at all. We're together. We are equal. We equally had a part in that. If you talk to somebody about the gospel for the very first time and they don't obey it, but there was a seed there. There was a seed that was planted. It didn't produce fruit yet. And five years down the road, somebody else preaches a sermon and it pricks their heart. You had something to do with that. And you know what the greatest thing is? We all rejoice together. We all rejoice together. We need to realize we are all equal. And whatever power produced the fruit, it was not of man. It was of God. And then in chapter 4, Paul says, Let a man so account of us as of ministers of Christ. Paul here returns to the question, In what esteem the inspired teachers of the gospel should be held or should have. This word, he says, we are ministers. You know, that's a very interesting word, ministers. It's also, this comes from the same root word that we get the word deacon. But what was Paul referring to? There's also a form of this word that is translated underworkers or under rowers. Interesting, isn't it? Does that sound like a boss? Does that sound like a preacher being a boss? No, an under rower. We are ministers today, we're not apostles, but if Paul can be an under rower and not a boss, That sure should shed a lot of light to you and I and our attitude about ourselves, too. He says we are under rowers. Interesting term. You know what an under rower was? An under rower were those that were on the ship that were lower. They were down lower in the ship, and they were the ones that actually rowed the ship. They were the ones that kept it moving but they were not the captain and they didn't dictate where the ship was going to go. They didn't come up with the policy. They didn't come up with the maps. They didn't come up with a plan. All they did was they kept, they under and they kept the ship moving in the direction that the ship's captain had said they were going. That's what a minister is. A minister is an under rower keeping the, as one preacher said one time, keeping the ship of Zion, moving through the waters toward heaven. God is the boss, not man. Jesus Christ is the king, not man. We are but under workers or under rowers. You know, uh, he also says that we are stewards or he was stewards of the mysteries of God. The word steward comes from a word which we get the term superintendent or foreman. Let me put it to you this way. If a man, and that's really his point, they were, they were judging whether Paul was faithful, that Paul was really credible. And so what he's saying is this. When he says we are stewards, he's saying we are superintendents or we are foremen. If you owned a company and you hired a man, don't you think you'd have a man that was faithful and honest and just and a good steward? You know, Jesus dealt with a man that was an evil steward. He was a wicked man. He was not good with what his boss or his master had entrusted him with. As we find in the book of Luke and the gospel according to Luke, we've studied that here at this place. So, being stewards are being superintendents. Now, what do we know about a foreman or a superintendent? These are things that we know. Number one, they don't own the company. Number two, they are not the boss. Number three, they do not determine the policy. And number four, they're hired to make sure that the company follows the boss. That's what an apostle was, not the boss under rowers, and good stewards. You know, it's true that we are stewards of all manner of things. There's been things that are ours because we've been entrusted with it that we have to do something good with it. There's a lot of that, a lot of those things in our life. Our kids are tremendous example in that way. They are are entrusted to us. How are we going to rear them and raise them? What about our money? What about the things that we have? We have a responsibility of being a good steward. What about the Lord's money? The Lord's money is to be given to the Lord on the first day of the week. And then we must be good stewards of the monetary gain that the Lord gets. It is all the Lord's. We are stewards in almost every walk of our life. We've been entrusted with many things. And Paul is basically saying, as I paraphrase The boss is not going to have a man that's not faithful. Well, let me just give it to you like this. When you talk about the gospel and you talk about the word of God being entrusted to us as being a good steward, that tells me, and Paul says, I have preached it all. We have to preach every bit of this word in order to be a good steward of it, regardless of the opposition that comes our way. You remember when Paul was writing to that young evangelist, Timothy, when Paul would say these words, he says, the things that I have entrusted to you, the things that I have spoken to you, the things that I have taught you commit thou to faithful men that they may be able to teach others. Also, a steward must be faithful. We must be faithful men. But interesting. I got to talking to somebody about leaders the other day. You know, the world needs leaders, don't we need leaders? Our country looks to somebody that stands up that's going to lead us in the proper way. Companies need good leadership and a lot of times companies fail because they didn't have proper leadership. Same within the body of Christ. But somebody said one time, and I'm going to share this with you. I'm going to use this. He said, leaders are not chosen. They emerge. That's powerful to me. Because isn't it true that when you're younger, you want people to follow you. You want people to listen to your voice. There comes a time when being a child no longer is acceptable. And you want people to look at you in a different way. You want people to follow you in a different way now. So you're looking at me and say, come on now, follow me, I'm a leader. It's kind of like this. You can take a rookie quarterback and you can put him in the huddle and the coach can tell that team, this is the leader, follow him, but they're not going to follow him until he demonstrates the leadership qualities that he can lead the team. Leaders emerge. And sometimes in the midst of crisis, a leader will emerge. And sometimes it's a person that you least expect. Isn't that true? Sometimes it's the quiet fellow over in the corner that never says a word, and then a crisis comes up, and what happens? A leader emerges. And you know why people follow them? They follow them because their life is consistent with their leadership. And that's what we have to do. Our life has to be consistent with the things that we say the things that we say we practice and all the things that we do in first Peter chapter 4 and verse 10 beginning there in verse 10 notice the attitude also about God getting the credit and the glory as we are ministers and as we are stewards beginning there in verse 10 it says "And every man hath received the gift even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Again, God Gets the praise, and God gets the glory. Even an elder, Paul said that a bishop must be blameless as God's steward. We must be blameless in all that we do. Why would Paul bring these things up, though? Well, as I mentioned before, some doubted Paul. But God is not going to choose a steward that was unfaithful in any way. God is going to choose somebody that is faithful. And then Paul says that there's going to come a time. First, he says, being judged of you, brethren, is a very small thing to me. Now, why is that? That's not an attitude of arrogance. He's trying to establish in their minds who the judge is going to be. And he says, being judged of you is a very small thing to me. It is insignificant. Why? He says, first of all, I know that I'm following the book. I know that I'm following that which is right. I know that. I know that I'm going along with that. And then he says, but God is going to be the ultimate judge. God is going to reveal the hidden things in darkness, the hidden things in the heart in his due time. Have you ever considered the hidden things? Sometimes we think we get away with things, but we don't. Because one day the hidden things, the things that are in darkness now, will be revealed one day. Sometimes we think that we can go outside the the building, go outside the assembly and live our life in a certain way and nobody's going to know hidden things. You remember that sermon on the Good Samaritan that I preached from time to time? I preached it once here. But I used the idea that those people that were on that road, on that 15 mile rocky road or however long it was, in that there was two people, a priest and a Levite, that probably would not have behaved like they behaved had they been back in Jerusalem. But because they were out in the middle of nowhere, they thought maybe nobody could see them. So they disregarded this poor soul that was laying over there and left for dead. Here's the point that I like to use. What we really are is better determined and defined in the way that we behave in places where we are not known. The way we dress when we're away from the body of Christ is what we are. The way we talk and the things that we say, that's really what we are. These are the things that we consider to be the hidden things, the things in secret, the things in darkness. These things are going to be revealed one day. And what we are is better determined not about how we behave at the assembly or around Christians, but how we behave in the workplace, how we behave at school, how we behave in the world. Now that is what we really are. And leaders come from those that live Christian lives consistent with the word of God. And they emerge and they rise up and people follow them because they respect them. I think that's a powerful thing. I think it's something to work for in our life. Paul says, I'm not the standard. But then Paul says this. He says in examining one of the reasons why he felt some confidence, not arrogance, but confidence, he felt some confidence because he, in examining his life, couldn't think of one thing that he was doing that was not correct. Now, that didn't mean he was perfect in any way, shape, or form, for only one was perfect, and that's Jesus. But he was saying this. In fact, when we studied on Wednesday night, the epistles of John, we talked about that. What do we do? If we examine our heart and we look to the word of God and we test ourselves against the word of God, when we do that, then we can know if we're saved or not. We can know and have the assurance of whether we are living as we should. You know what Paul says, though? God is the ultimate judge to this point too. I don't know of anything in my life that is not right, but just because I'm not aware of it doesn't excuse me if I'm wrong. And God, if He found something, and He may, just because I think I'm okay, and if God finds something later on, I'm going to be condemned and I'm going to be judged for that, whether I know it now or whether I don't know it now. Because God is the standard and not Paul. Verse 7, For who maketh thee to differ one from the other? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? There's a really, not really sure whether Paul is speaking specifically here to spiritual gifts or if he's speaking about other gifts or talents or abilities or whatever it is, really the application is still the same. What were they doing? they were glorying in themselves they were glorying in the flesh they were elevating man higher than man ought to be and he says everything you receive everything you have you got it from somebody else and if that's the case why are you glorying like you're some great one because the reason that you are what you are even even because you're saved is because of somebody else and why is it that you glory When somebody else had something to do with that. But finally, in verse 8, he says, Now ye are full, now ye are rich. Ye have reigned as kings without us. And I would to God that ye did reign, that we also might reign with you instead of being persecuted. I added that last part. Instead of being persecuted. There's sarcasm now in the the tone of Paul. And he was saying, I would that you did do all that. Because if you did do all that, you'd be with us. And I would that you would do all that so we wouldn't be persecuted. But you're not with us. You're not among us. And then he says this. For I think that God has set forth us apostles last, as it were appointed to death... For we are made a spectacle unto the world, and to angels, and to men. Look at this word here, spectacle. You know what a spectacle is? It's a climax. He says, you, because of your worldly wisdom, because you're still carnal, you've elevated man too high. You've put yourself and asserted yourself even above the apostles themselves. But I'm here to tell you, he says, I know that we, the apostles, are set in last. In fact, we are a spectacle. We are the climax. Historically speaking, in ancient times, there were great big amphitheaters. And sometimes these amphitheaters would hold twenty to 25,000 people. And what they would do is that men would come together and they would start the day off early. And as the day would start off, they'd begin with athletic games, games of skill, games of speed, and so on. In the middle of this great amphitheater that housed all these people, there would be a field for battle. And it would begin early that day, I don't know what time, just early enough in the day to get all the things in that they had to get in. So here comes all the athletic games, here they go, and it's kind of wetting the appetites of those that are in attendance. But pretty soon, they'd become bored with that. They wanted to see some blood. So they'd bring in two animals, animals that were imported all over the world, I'm told. And they'd let them fight to the death, right in the eyesight of these people that were sitting in the amphitheater, fanning themselves, having whatever it was that shaded them and all the refreshments that they could stand as they were in the heat, refreshing themselves while they increased their thirst for blood. But pretty soon they got tired of that too. So the next thing would happen. A gladiator would be brought in. And a gladiator would fight against an animal and almost every time the gladiator would stand victorious as, as, the, as the gladiator killed the animal shedding his blood. But pretty soon that would grow old too. So they'd bring in another gladiator. You know I'm told that in Rome every, every boy Wanted to grow up and be a gladiator. These were the heroes, kind of like sports heroes today. Football players on TV. Little kids say, I want to grow up and be a football player. I want to grow up and be this person or that person. That's kind of what they said about these gladiators. The gladiators now would fight themselves. Not animals now. They would fight each other. And the crowd would decide whether they lived or died with a thumbs up or a thumbs down. But it still wasn't over. After that event, they'd take a person and strip him naked. And they'd put him down on the blood-stained ground of the floor of this amphitheater. And they'd bring in a lion. A lion that was starved for two or three days. And the lion would destroy the human being and shed his blood. To the delight of the crowd. I'm told they took what was left of that body and they would hoist it up the side of the wall and light it on fire so that they could see in the amphitheater. Brethren, you want to know who the people were? Who were those people? They were Christians. They were members of the body of Christ. That was called the spectacle. That was called the climax. The end, the big finale. That's the big finale. You know what Paul said? You're elevating yourself above man. I'm going to tell you something. We were set first in the the Lord's church, and we're going to be a spectacle. We're going to be persecuted in the eyes of man, and we're going to lose our life violently. And all the apostles did die just like that, except for the apostle John. He says, we are a spectacle. That kind of makes me think that I can live this Christian life a little easier than I thought. That kind of tells me that, regardless of what I think is tough, it's nothing. It's nothing compared to being a spectacle. A spectacle, Paul says, in the eyes of man and of angels, that they look at wonderment at what the apostles would have to go through in the violence that was brought on to them. But finally, in verse 10, he says, we are fools. He says, we're fools. We are fools for the cause of Christ. You know, in the introduction part of our lesson, I said that you're a fool to somebody. We all are. We are a fool to somebody. The question's going to be, are we going to be wise in the world? Because that's what the brethren at Corinth were doing. You know what they were doing? They were taking their Christianity and trying to benefit from them as being worldly wise. He says, you're wise. I'm a fool. How can you be a fool for Christ today? when the world says you don't have to be baptized in order to be saved, But you obey the gospel anyway. You're a fool for Christ. When you worship on the Lord's day. And you assemble with those of like precious faith. And you never miss. Except when it's beyond your control. You're sick. Can't get there. Beyond your control. But never is the decision that you choose something else. When you do that. You know what the world says? Come on. What's one time? What's one time? That's the wisdom of the world. You know what the world says when you say, no, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go to church this morning and I'm going to worship God. They think, well, that is a fool. When a sister in Christ has long uncut hair with the styles of today, the world says you're a fool. When you do what's right, you are a fool for Christ. When you stand for what's right, you are a fool for Christ. When the world says you can have a social drink here and there, go ahead. You're not going to be condemned. I had somebody tell me one time, I don't think that I'm going to be condemned for that. It's foolish to think so. But when you abstain from that in every way, you're a fool for Christ. I'd rather be a fool for Christ and be saved in heaven one day. As Paul said this, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, most gladly therefore will I rather glory in my weaknesses. You want to talk about your strength? He says, I'm going to glory in my weaknesses that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Wherefore, I take pleasure in weaknesses, in injuries, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then am I strong. In closing, if we've not made provision for our soul, we're a fool in the eyes of the Lord. Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. But I want to tell you something. When the world puts you down, use that as a guide that you must be doing something right. These people were glorying in the fact that they were, they were calling the name, wearing the name of Jesus, wearing the name of Christ as a Christian, but the world thought they were great. The world elevated them and all that. He said, no. No, I glory in my infirmities. I'm a fool. You want to be wise? You're wise in the eyes of man. I am a fool. Are you a fool for Christ? We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 730 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.